Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Okay, we're in the middle of a series called Foundations to the Book of... Romans, for those of you who are new here, uh, going through the book of Romans. And the last two weeks, we have done a, uh, a short mini-series on how in the gospel, we are not just pardoned from our sin, but there is a power through the Holy Spirit to, um, to, to overcome sin in our lives. And tonight, we are continuing in what some theologians and pastors call the, the most Um, The greatest chapter of the Bible, we're going to continue in that. And we are going to find that there is something else that is a power in our lives that the gospel, through the work of the Spirit, has the power to overcome. In fact, this is something that is in our lives and in the lives of of everyone on this university. And we're going to look tonight how the gospel has the power to overcome this reality. You say, well, Pete, what is that reality? I am so glad you asked. Here's the reality. It's the reality of shame. The reality of shame. As as I talk about shame tonight, let me give you a definition of shame in case you're not sure how to define that. Then we're going to talk about it a little bit and then we're going to get into our passage tonight. Um, Here's a definition of shame that I kind of cobbled together a few years ago. Shame is a sense of not being enough, a sense of deficiency, inferiority, inadequacy, insufficiency, and unworthiness, a sense that you are flawed and unworthy of acceptance. Now, you may ask, well, where did this shame come from? And I would say, I'm so glad you asked that question, too. Um, You don't have to read very far in the Bible to figure out where shame comes from comes from. Uh, the end of the, uh, of the first chapter of the Bible in Genesis, in, or I'm sorry, the second chapter of the Bible in Genesis, ends with this verse. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And they felt no shame. In other words, they were completely vulnerable. Completely vulnerable. And yet, there was no sense of not being enough. There was no sense of deficiency or inferiority or insufficiency that they experienced. But then the very next chapter, what we see is is that they sin. and, And that as sin enters into the human experience, shame pounces on them. And here are the verses that we see how they respond. It says this, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In other words, here's, here's how they responded. When, they, when sin enter, entered their experience and shame entered their, their reality, they quickly started to hide and cover themselves. And then they hid from God. And this is what shame does. Shame is something that, is, that we experience inside of us, but it is social in our experience of it. And what it does is it causes us to hide from people and to want to pull away from people and to hide from God. It separates us from others. Um, Kirk Thompson wrote a book called The Soul of Shame, and here's what he says. He says, to be human is to be infected with this phenomenon 
we call shame. To be human is to be infected with this phenomenon that we call shame. Now, this shame looks different for different people. Um, if there was a, I just go ahead and put it the next slide. If, if you were to fill in the blank, we would all fill in this blank slightly differently, but it would be an expression of our experience of shame. So some would say, I'm not, so I'm not blank enough. You'd say, I'm not, some would feel I'm not smart enough. Others would say, pretty enough, or athletic enough, or charismatic enough, or popular enough, or strong enough, or funny enough, or desirable enough. Now just wonder, how would you fill in that blank in your own inner experience and thoughts of yourself? Shame. Well, how does shame work in our lives? Let me just quickly hit three areas. What does shame look like in our work? Oftentimes, to compensate for our sense of shame, we become perfectionists in our work. In other words, we want to prove to ourselves and prove to others that we are not deficient or insufficient in some way. So we buckle down to the extreme on our work and become perfectionists. So we can prove ourselves. And we can't just be average. Um, we can't mess up because then it'll expose the fact that we're not enough. Any perfectionists out there? I'm a perfectionist by nature. And if I'm honest, that's where a lot of my perfectionism has come from in my life. See, uh, Brene Brown, I heard her say this years ago. She said this, that when perfectionism is at the wheel... Shame is in the passenger seat, and worry and anxiety are in the back seat. And when I heard that, I'm like, you just explained my life. (laughs) Because I had to prove my worth and prove my value. To be ordinary would be to show that I was insufficient in some way. Okay, how does it play out in friendships? This nagging feeling, maybe you've had this before, that this friendship that you're in means more to you than it means to them? You ever had that feeling like, well, my friendship with them means more to me than, than their friendship with me means to them? And that's, that's this kind of this sense that somehow you're not worthy or you're not enough for others. And you carry that, that sense of reality that, that yeah, I, like, like you're just lucky to be their friend and it could end at some point because they're going to figure out you're not enough and not as, not as good or funny or smart as they thought you were? What does it look like in your walk with God? What does shame look like in your walk with God? David Brenner wrote a book. He's a Christian uh, psychologist and author who wrote several books, but he wrote a book called Surrender to Love. And he says, when people come to my office, I, I, I often ask them this question. What do you assume God feels when you come to mind? And he says this, A surprising number of people say the first thing they assume God feels is disappointed. He feels disappointment when they come to mind. Our passage tonight is going to deal with how God answers the question of what he feels when you come to mind. And it's going to show us truth that can overwhelm and overthrow 
the power of shame in our lives as we saturate in it. So open your Bibles tonight to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 17. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back. So if you need a Bible, can you raise your hand? We'll be happy to give you a Bible so you can look it up. Okay, we got a, got one up here. Anybody else need a Bible? Want everybody to have a Bible out and by looking at your Bible? Okay, Romans 8. One's coming. Uh, Romans 8. Uh, verses 14 through 17. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Romans. And we're going to read just these four verses. And these four verses contain a truth that can, that can start to cause shame to lose its power in your life. All right, here we go. For those, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you as... Uh, I'm sorry, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed We share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. And those four verses, four times, the powerful, life-changing truth is mentioned. And that is this, that you are a child of God. You know the one that we, that, that we sang, how great thou art, like that one who created everything, who, who holds it all together, who came and condescended into flesh and died on a cross and rose. Like, you're his child, that one. And it says four times as well how that's appropriated to our lives. It's appropriated to our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this reality. And here's my hope is that it's going to come alive in your hearts. Probably not something you've never heard, but my hope is we'll grasp it. I remember, let me just say this. uh, Here's here's a quote um, from J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God. He said this, Adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers us. Adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers us. Amy and I have the joy of being adoptive parents. We've adopted two kids, and go ahead and put up the picture. This is a picture of Adoption Day. We uh, had a photographer follow us around that day, and then we came and took some pictures after we went to the courthouse at, uh, at, at the lawn and some of the gardens there. And after we took the pictures, we, after court and took the pictures, we, we went to Jason's Deli, Rip, you know, it's gone, it died. Um, pandemic, you know. <laughs> but my kids love Jason's Deli because you got free ice cream. And I was like, it's not free, it's just prepaid. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just prepay that junk. But anyways, okay. But at that point, Nevaeh, my daughter, she was at the age that after she would like sit and eat a little bit, she'd get a little antsy. And as she'd get antsy, then oftentimes she'd want to come sit on Amy's lap or my lap. And I was watching Nevaeh get a little antsy. And so, um, so I said to her, I said, Nevaeh Bulet, why don't you come sit on your dad's lap? And when I said Nevaeh Bulet, her eyes got really big. You know, you know why? It's the first time she heard her new name. 
And it was like her, it, like the smile came on her face, her eyes got real big and she came and sat on my lap because it was the first time she ever heard her new identity as an adopted child. And it was like I watched it go from information to revelation in her heart. And I thought, oh, if we would all just have this information turn to revelation in our heart and understand this is our new identity. This is who you are. It's who I am. How that could change our lives. So what we're going to do is we're just going to look at four implications of the fact that you're a child of God. I'm going to tell some parent stories. Because we're going to talk about, just kind of metaphorically, and Amy's going to come up and share something, and we're going to call it a night. So what are a few implications of the fact that we are children of God? Well, you don't have to read very far. Um, Verse 15, it says this, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you're in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought brought about your adoption to sonship. See, there's two ways that you can relate to God. You can relate to God as boss. And if you relate to God as boss, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have your relationship with God be contingent on your behavior and your performance. And and what that does is it says here, it will lead to a fear-based relationship. Because you fear like, well, have I performed well enough? Have I behaved well enough? Because, oh, here comes the boss, and I'm not for sure exactly. Because your relationship is contingent and based on how well you're doing. So you can relate to God based on boss, or you can relate to God based on father, that God is your father. Because here's the deal. When God is your father, your relationship isn't based on your performance and your behavior. Your relationship's based on the fact of your status as a child of God. And so you relate to God based on that status. And when you are weak, you receive grace and you receive strength. You're not fired. Isn't that good news? I was thinking about this. And um, in, in, my, in my office, if you were to come to my office, go ahead and uh, you, you would uh, see these two pictures up on my wall in my office, okay? Those are two pictures that my son Jeremiah, my youngest son, uh, drew for me. Years ago, he's a little older now, they've been up a little while. And, and I, I have those up. If you come off, you're going to be very underwhelmed by the art in my office, okay? I'm not very artistic. Uh, if you come to my house, you'll be equally underwhelmed by the art in my house. We are not the most decorative people. We, we do not belong to Pinterest, okay? Like, we're not, Pinterest, we're not a Pinterest family. I'm not, not against Pinterest, but, you know, that's just not us, okay? Um, but here's the point but you will find that art because that art means more to me than any other art. Why? Because it's awesome. Because, because I'm raising a future Van Gogh? Is that, no. No, it's not a, because it's about who made it, right? It's not because, okay, I didn't say Jeremiah. Okay, that, that's good. But if you'll go back and you can, you can improve those lines a little bit, and if you get it good enough, then I'll put that up on my wall. No, no, no. I'm like, oh, you made this. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I took it and I put it up on my wall. It's been up there for years. What's the point? The point is, as a child, he lives from my acceptance, not for my acceptance. When you're a child of God, You don't have to perform to be accepted. You have acceptance and you live from that acceptance. You don't live 
for that acceptance. Isn't it like, well, that's a rough semester. No, 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 no. He's like, you're my son. You live from my acceptance. He doesn't have to earn my acceptance by producing a, a certain amount of art every day or a certain number amount of art every year or keep improving. No, he's my son, and so I delight. I delight in it. Do you live from God's acceptance as a child of God? Or do you live for his acceptance? Because the difference is massive. Well, as we keep reading, here's what we see in the the end of that very verse. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. Who's him? The Spirit. By the Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. We are like, what does that mean? It means this. The Spirit is within you, and the Spirit, the very Spirit of God, is within you crying out, Abba, Father. Why is he? Okay, what does Abba mean anyways? Abba is Aramaic household language. In other words, the the very language that Jesus spoke. And that's why it's not translated because it's like the spirit of, of God is now what Jesus cried out is now crying out through you, Abba, Father, because it's a picture of the intimacy that the spirit wants to bring you into as a child of God. And it's, it's like the equivalent of Papa or Daddy. The Spirit of God is within you, calling out, Papa. Like what a little child would say as he he, he or she comes to her dad. Papa, and the Spirit of God, God gives you his Spirit, and from within you cries out, Papa, because he's wanting to pull you as his child into intimacy with him. And that's, he doesn't just accept you. He wants, he wants to pull you towards himself in intimacy as his child. And, that, and he doesn't just stop there. What does it say after that? It says this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, what is the Spirit's job in your heart? To testify, to continue to repeat over and over. You're God's child. You're God's child. You're like, well, how does he do that? I'm so glad you asked. In Romans chapter 5. Listen to this. This is what what it says. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. So how he testifies that you are a child of God is he pours out his spirit into your life. And how he does that or what's happening as he's doing that is he's pouring out his love into your heart. In other words, the spirit keeps saying, your father loves you. Your father loves you. Testifying, you're a child of God. Years ago, um, I just felt like as a father that I wanted to connect more deeply with my kids. And I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me this, to end every night by telling my kids a secret. And so I had a secret that I would share with them. Now, I'm going to tell you, you cannot tell them I told you this, okay? But I'd go into Jeremiah's room, and I'd say, I got a secret. He's laying in bed. And I'd come up to him, and I'd whisper, 
I love you so much. And I'm so glad you're my son. And then I'd say, and don't you ever forget it. So other people, all they could ever hear is, then don't you ever forget it. Then I'd go over to Nevaeh's room. And I'd whisper in her ear, I love you so much and I'm so glad you're my daughter. You know, after like three weeks, three months, three years, they're like, yeah, dad, I know. (laughs) I know, I love you so much. And don't you ever forget it. You don't want to know why? Because as a father, my chief concern is that they know how much they're loved. And here's the picture. It's like the father has given you the spirit so you'll hear whispered in your heart, I love you so much. And I'm so glad you're my daughter. Do you hear the Spirit saying that? I love you so much. And I am so, so glad you're my daughter. Here it says, he poured out his love. He didn't give you a little drop of love. No, he, he wants to, Pour, pour out his love. So it, that testimony inside that you're a child of God, that as you lay your head down, as you wake up, as you walk through, as shame starts to creep up in your heart that you're not enough, it stops and you, and you hear, I love you so much and I'm so glad you're my son. That is what the Father wants you to hear. He gave you the Spirit be inside of you. 1 John 3 says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is who you are. That's what it says. In other words, if you want to know what your adoption is all about, it's about being dusted with his love. No, lavished. dogpiled with his love and can I just say I get this as a doctor I get this today before I came here I went to a basketball game I'm going to be honest with you if I could only go to one basketball game the entire year of 2022 and you put before me tickets to the, the final game of the NBA Finals. Final four tickets to watch UVA play in it again this year. Right? Anyways, okay. Or tickets to the game I went to today, no brainer. Give me the tickets to the game I went to today. I went to a middle school basketball game is what I went to today. That thing was a barn burner. It ended in overtime, 18-18. After overtime. They're like, game over. They shook hands. Everybody went home. And you know what I get to do tomorrow? I get to go to a baseball game. And my son's going to pitch. And I don't know if it's going to be good or not. I don't care. And you know what I'm doing on Wednesday? I'm going to another basketball game. And again, okay, okay, here, here's what you need to hear. Not my schedule. Here's what you need to hear. If you met with me today, you knew I was going to a basketball game. Did you know, Nathan? Okay. 
Why? Because I'm excited about my son's basketball game. It's middle school basketball game. We're going to work on the crossover. But, you know, we're... but here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. Why would I go to that over the NBA finals to see famous people who are the best in the world? Why would I go to that over the, over the final four? I'll tell you why I'd go to that. Because I love my son and he, I delight in him and I just enjoy watching him play. Because he has my heart. I mean, do you think God delights in you? I mean, in you. Yeah, can I tell you, you've been lavished in his love and God delights in you. In you. Because you are a child of God. One more implication. Okay, okay. hold on. Before I get to the last implication, let me say this. God doesn't say, okay, I'll forgive you of your sins, but I'm going to be honest with you. You're, you annoy me. Please don't ever come back. My wrath is removed. Please go away. He doesn't say, okay, I'll forgive you of your sins, and let me know if you ever need anything else. I'm not sure you will, but here's my number. He doesn't say, okay, I'll forgive you of your sins. And I happen to have a guest room at my house that here's the key. Use the guest room as you need it. Just please stay on your side of the house and please earn your keep. Because remember, I can kick you out at any time if it gets too messy over there. No, no, no. Here's what God says. God says, I forgive you of your sins. And I'm adopting you as my child and I'm welcoming you into intimacy and you're going to live from my acceptance, not for my acceptance. And not only that, I'm lavishing my love and I just look forward to spending time by the fire together and we're going to live this thing out together because you are my treasured possession and I love you and my heart is with you and I delight in you and that is his heart. And the question is, here well there's one more implication we see is that now that we are children we are heirs look at the person next to me and say you're a trust fund baby (laughs) okay here's the point that wasn't in the notes, by the way. I, I, I've said that before. That wasn't in. Okay, okay. Um, here, here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing. Um, because God is your father, you have this great inheritance waiting you. Uh, in fact, um, he, here, here, here's what Paul wants you to know. You don't just live lavished in love, but you live with hope for the future. Lavished in love in the present, hope for the future. In fact, such Great. Okay, and here's what you need to understand. In the Christian mind, hope isn't like, oh, I hope that works out. In the Christian mind, hope is about certainty of the future that impacts your present. I heard it said this way one time, that hope is the ability to hear the music of the future, and faith is the ability to dance to it today. 
okay? And so it's about a certainty. You, because like we sang, Jesus is coming back, right? Like Jesus is coming back. That is your hope. That's where your hope is. That is your reference point for your life that like that informs it. And, and you have an inheritance that First Peter says will never spare, uh, perish, spoil, or fade. In other words, your inheritance is greater than the inheritance of, of what's his name, King Charles, whatever that dude's name is that's going to be the king of England, right? right? Like, like he's going to quite a pretty good inheritance, but his, his, his inheritance isn't anything compared to yours. Why? Because his is temporary and yours is forever. Like forever, forever. And Paul, what he's saying, and then he ends it, well, like, um, if indeed we share in his sufferings and we'll also share in his glory. In other words, he's saying, just because you're a child of God doesn't mean that you will, won't suffer. But as you suffer, here's what you can know, that your suffering is not the end. And in the midst of it, you're lavished in his love and you have hope that your suffering is not the end. He said, that's who you are. As a child of God, you're an heir and co-heirs of Christ. I give Jesus a big high five. We're co-heirs, you know. Um, So we go from, well, as children of God, living from his acceptance, not for his acceptance. We're welcomed into intimacy. We're lavished in his love. And we have a hope where we are co-heirs. I meant to bring this, but in our office, today I was like washing my dish and this sponge was hard, dunk, 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 you know, like the old sponge. And here's the thing. If I took that sponge and just dipped it in the water and brought it back up, it would still be hard. Right? But if I submerged it in the water and just held it there, those pores would start to go. Right? And would start to draw in the water and would be saturated. I think when it comes to this truth, so often we just kind of dip in and out. But I think God tonight wants you just to, like, saturate. I've asked Amy to come share just a moment from her own journey with Jesus where this reality became really real to her. So would you come and share for just a moment, babe? Hello, Chi Alpha. It's my joy to share about an experience I had many years ago. Um, Pete and I were actually at a conference, uh, and at the end of a session, we had a response time where, you know, the worship, prayer, kind of individual time just to sit with God and process. And, um, and so we're in this time, and I'm just sitting solo, you know, just having some time with God. And um, I start getting kind of overcome with emotion, and I'm like, wait, where is this emotion coming from? And I uh, kind of do a little check, like, is there anything happening that I wasn't aware of? Nothing comes to mind. And so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to take a posture. God, I think you're doing something. Um, I think this is something good. Uh, and um, I'm just going to lean into this. And so if you would like to share with me what is going on in my heart, like, that'd be great. Otherwise, I'll just hold it open-handed in faith that you're a good father and you're doing good things. And... You know, I had um, three images from my childhood come into my mind at that point. Uh, The first one was 
when I was a little girl and I went out to the front yard of my house and there's a nice climbing tree and I wanted to climb that tree, but I was too short and I was really frustrated. I couldn't get up to that first limb. And uh, so my dad brought a stepladder out so that I could climb that tree. And I was like, oh, that's a cool image. Okay. And uh, the second image that came to my mind was, again, when I was young and uh, we were in the lobby of my church and I was just having a shy moment and I just stood behind my dad's legs and uh, just kind of, you know, got protection from being behind him. And um, I was like, oh yeah, that's sweet. And, uh, and then uh, the third image came to my mind and um, at that time, we were really good friends with our neighbors. They were family friends. And, um, and so I had gone over to my neighbor's house. And as I walked in, my friend was, um, she was snuggled up with her dad in their recliner chair. And I remember walking in and this pang of like, oh, I want that. It was just such a sweet moment walking in um, to them just snuggled up. And... Uh, and I was like, all right, Lord, so I, I have these images, and I said, but um, I don't understand them all, you know, and uh, I just really felt the Father impress on me. He said, you know, um, you have let me be your Father, who can take you places that you could never get to on your own, and that was the first image, and you've also let me be your Father, who is your protector, And that was the image of me hiding behind my dad's legs. And he said, but what you really want in your heart is for me to be your daddy. And for me just to love you and just snuggle up and just be together. And you blocked that because you didn't think I wanted it. He said, but I do. I said, daughter, I want that. And that transformed my life in such incredible ways and began a deep journey of my understanding of the Father's love. April 16th, 2015. That was Adoption Day. What had been three years in the making was finalized that day. The judge said, it's done. They are yours. One of the best days of our lives. It's a long journey. Some of you here have been on a long journey. And tonight can be your adoption day. You've been around God's people. Like Alma. Been discovering things. And tonight can be your night where you become a child of God. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, the Bible tells us in John 1.12 that to those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. 
So what you do is you receive Jesus as your king and you trust in him with your past and your present and your future. And the spirit will come into your life like it did with Buster and Alma. Like he did, right? And the spirit will come and pour out the love of God into your heart. And testify that you are a child of God. I want to have the worship team quietly come up. But as we respond, if that is you tonight, I want you to make tonight your night. Um, will you just... Bow your head for a moment. Just as a point of reference, if that is you tonight, I, I want to give you an opportunity to say, yep, Pete, that is me. Will you will just raise your hand and say, Pete, that's, that's me. I want tonight to be my adoption night. I want to enter into God's family. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Put your hands down. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out into hearts tonight. And tonight would be, there'd be some beautiful, beautiful adoptions. Where people would move from, into, into living from acceptance, not for acceptance Move into intimacy with you, being lavished in your love as you become their king and they become your child. Just stay right where you're at for just a moment. I've asked Amy to come and just lead us in a time of prayerful meditation on this truth before we sing. So as we are just in this quiet moment just give a couple thoughts to consider that as you settle in that you just settle into the Father just connect with Him and you can imagine a quiet inviting place perhaps it's a shoreline perhaps it's over a campfire or in a meadow or maybe it's just two chairs or maybe it's just a quiet just you in thought to have this moment with the father to then begin to let him speak to you I believe he treasures these moments where we slow down enough to hear him and to hear his give him space to just lavish his love on us whether it's a, a thought or a sense or an image, whatever it is, is a gift. So, Father, we just give you this time. Holy Spirit, we invite you to minister in your way. We thank you for it. What does God feel?
feel when you come to mind? Love, delight, joy. When you come to mind, isn't that good news? It's good to be a child of God, isn't it? Let's have it go from here to here. Let's live it out this week. Sound good? The Father is welcoming. This is our homecoming. God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace as his child. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's have a great week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.